Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Time is flying. I've been having a somewhat restful summer. I think I could use a little more rest, as I could always use a little more rest. But uh, hey, Life March is on, and there's exciting things happening, and we're going to get to it this hour of True Life Fridays Radio. I want to welcome onto the show my co host and friend Thomas Smith. Thomas, are you. Are you there? Hey, yes, there I you am. Are. <laughs> How are you? All right. I'm glad you're with us today. And uh, you have something special for us today, don't you? Yes, ma'am. It'll be All fun. Right. Yeah, we're going to get to that uh, starting at the bottom of the hour. And uh, I wanted to tell you that uh, our other co-host, Melissa, is on her way. Busy, busy woman that she is. And I wanted to just open this up um, and let everybody know that we are going to start bringing back all our regulars for True Life Fridays Radio and add some other stuff. We are going to really crank this show up. You're going to love the changes that we're going to make in the next few weeks. It's going to be exciting. I'm excited, and uh, I'm even more excited that when I get my full voice back, you can't tell that I've been sick this week, but uh, I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it. 
And uh, Thomas, you've been doing okay? Yeah, for the most part. I've had my moments, but this too shall pass as they sing in an old Negro spiritual or some gospel song they say that in. This too shall pass. Well, we hope that focusing on um, focusing on the show today will um, help make it a little bit better. How about that? Yep, um, I'm just praying that um, I'm just praying that the situation doesn't explode in my face. Um, my phone completely burned out, so I no longer have a phone, and so. I'm using a family member's house phone who's not really nice to me. Let's just put oh. it like that. So oh. I, uh, if I have to go suddenly, you'll know why. So just okay. pray that, yeah. Okay, well, well, let's, let's pray for that. Let's pray for that right now. And uh, you can also start us with our verse that uh, is kind of the, the capstone for our show. Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19 says, I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life so that you and your seed might live. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Father God, we thank you for another opportunity to host True Life Fridays Radio here on True Radio Presents and the Blog Talk Radio Networks. Father, we're thankful for our host, Letitia, co-host Melissa, and myself, Lord God. Uh, We pray that the message and information that goes forth today, Lord God, will serve to empower those in the pro-life movement to be proactive and not reactive on this very important issue. Father, we thank you for your grace, your love, and your mercy. We say we love you and we bless you. In the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me let me put this out there. Um, and if you have any questions... Uh, the number to call in for the show is 760-542-3907. Uh, we talk about some pretty heavy stuff on the show, and it's kind of hard to laugh at, but, you know, join us at the bottom of the, the end of the show, and don't miss our stupidest thing ever of the day. It's going to be pretty interesting. And uh, join us every day. If you catch us on Facebook, our Facebook page is True T-R-U. Life Fridays Radio, and uh, we also have a website called TrueLifeFridaysRadio.com, and uh, we're looking forward to getting all that stuff launched um, in a major way in the fall. It's going to be so exciting, and Thomas, I'm really eager to get a lot of your pieces of your story up on that page and on our Facebook page and making it a focal point of discussion because I think it's time that people really dealt with stuff as as well as all the other stuff that we talk about Um, and you know 
you you had mentioned on Facebook that your sister is in the hospital. She she was um, okay. That issue was yeah. She that issue was um, it was rectified and God answered prayers and I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for her. So she's okay. They figured out out. what was wrong, and everything is cool. Okay. So she's out of the hospital. That's good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But, you know, when you have a medical emergency, who who are you going to call? Something strange in the neighborhood. Yep. Who are you going to call? Oh. Yeah. Um, If you're Planned Parenthood in St. Louis. You don't call. First of all, you don't call the Ghostbusters. Huh? But you know what? If they did, they'd probably get a faster response calling the Ghostbusters. But seeing as you know the Ghostbusters is a movie, and I'm making fun of him, funny fun of them. Here's the serious truth: when Planned Parenthood has a medical emergency, which they seem to be having at a pretty consistent clip, I would say once every few weeks certainly once a month, um, and that's pretty high for an abortion clinic. Uh, they don't call 911 like you would expect them to. They call uh, because 911 records their phone call and asks them questions that are transcribed, and we, can have, we have access to those phone calls through the Freedom of Information Act. So in order to hide the fact that they need an ambulance to come transport women to the hospital, they are now calling a private ambulance company to come transport women in medical need. Now, the problem with that, other than the lack of transparency, the problem with that is private ambulance services in St. Louis often don't have as quick a response time as going through the 911 dispatcher. So, um, not only are women being injured frequently at this Planned Parenthood in St. Louis, they're not getting to the hospital very quickly either. Not as quick as they would if Planned Parenthood really cared about women's health. Oh. And so I think we need to step back and ask ourselves, women's health? Do women really need this? Do they need to be taken to the hospital uh, at such a frequent rate uh, from botched procedures at Planned Parenthood? Aren't they pro-choice? Did women choose to get into a get into the situation where they're injured so badly they need to be rushed to the hospital? I don't think so. I think women need this like they need a hole in the uterus. Oh, wait. That's exactly usually what goes on in an abortion clinic that requires immediate medical attention. So here we have St. Louis's only surgical abortion clinic 
sending women to the hospital slower than ever and more frequently than ever. Um, I think there's some real problems going on in that clinic, um, that abortuary, and it needs to be shut down. But if it weren't for all the complicity from the city of St. Louis, they would have been shut down ages ago. But that's my little rant about that. But speaking of the word pro-choice, like I said earlier, have you noticed, and Thomas, tell me if you've noticed this, that major abortion figures are no longer using that term, pro-choice? Yeah, I have. They're, uh, they're not using it, even though I, I've gotten useful idiot after useful idiot after useful idiot coming to me personally trying to use the word pro-choice as a shield and the base of all rationalization about legalized abortion. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I've noticed, and so has the New York Times. <coughs> Excuse me. If I'm going to... I might lose a lung today, but we're going to press on. So the New York Times wrote in um, in an article here that I'm going to bring up, and it was noticed. It was noticed by the New York Times, <coughs> and they said advocates, abortion advocates, shun pro-choice, the word pro-choice, to expand their message. Um, so they write in this article and. Let me let me throw this out there just so that you guys can hear this. That the shift away from the word pro-choice might seem surprising in this political season when there has been a renewed focus on reproductive issues like access to abortion and birth control. Yet advocates say that the term pro-choice, which has for so long been closely identified with abortion, oh, you don't say does not reflect the range of women's health and economic issues now being debated. Nor, they add, does it speak to a new generation of young women who tell pollsters they reject political labels, not at least one that dates back four decades, to the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade decision that established a constitutional right to abortion. You know, that's that's the media spin on it. We don't have a constitutional right to abortion, uh, but it was interpreted to mean abortion. It doesn't ever say abortion. Uh, anyway, but there's a big, bold poster back in, from 1974 on this article that says women need the right to choose. And that's when they, ter- coin, they coined the term pro-choice to encompass their idea that women should be free, free to choose to end the life of their unborn child without any legal repercussions. And the, the whole appeal of the word choice was that you could choose to have a child or you could choose to dispose of your child. And they would never say choose to dispose of your child. They would say you have the right to choose. Right. And you're supposed to fill in that little blank yourself. But it was the most open and 
seemed to be the most balanced way to present abortion to the American public without saying the words, murder your child. Right. Now they're hey, Leticia. From it. Leticia, before you go yeah. on, let's welcome our third, uh, third person in our triangle of pro-lifeness, Miss <laughs> Palou. Miss Melissa Palou. Yes, I'm here. Yes, hey. I'm here. Welcome <laughs> back. I I know I know I, I snuck in and I'm listening uh, in um um great discussion so far. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, it jump in any time you want. Um, we're just gonna finish up with a couple of commentaries. There's plenty of room for uh, everybody to express their opinion, and I do want to hear from you. Um, and from all of you out there too, if you want to call in, the number to call in is seven six zero five four two three nine zero seven. And um, so so it, this is big. Let me tell you, this is big, that the New York Times decided to write about this and saying how pro, pro-choice, well, <clears throat> abortion advocates are now walking away from this term is really kind of something, because I, you, you last expect a, a media source like the New York Times to pay any attention to this, because they are so left and they're so supportive of abortion that, it, I mean, it just screams out, we love abortion, as, as many of, you know, the other columnists have dared to write. But that they're walking away from this, and the New York Times is talking about this, just shows how much the word pro-choice has been accurately now termed to, to be associated with pro-abortion. So as many people have tried to deny that the word pro-choice means pro-abortion, that the fact they're walking away from it now, you know, concedes the fact that it's, it does now mean pro-abortion. Otherwise, what are they talking about? Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. We all know that regressives like mutilating definitions almost as much as they like abortion. But when they are forced to abandon a particular word, it tells us that they have lost success with that word. So now, all you pro-choicers out there, you need to stop saying you are for choice and start using the term women's health and economic issues as mm-hmm. and Cecile Richards have started, have started to emphasize. Well, never mind the fact that abortion is not a woman's health product Oh, don't worry. Planned Parenthood doesn't do mammograms either. And it doesn't stop them from saying that they do breast health. (laughs) They're hoping you don't notice. But how can you not notice when the New York Times has even noticed? So Mm -hmm. think about, I mean, this is what I urge people to do. Think about how much sense it makes to say that you're pro-choice. And never mm-hmm. fill in that blank with what that choice to do is. When we say when we say we're pro-life, you know, everybody knows that we're against abortion. Mm-hmm. It, it and we're proud of the fact that we're against abortion. Murder is not something to wave your flag over. But when you have to ch- change your language, shift your vocabulary. Just like, just like the term progressive 
in the 1920s had to shift the word liberal in order for people to get away from the idea that progressives were for this uh, group tyranny. So we can expect, we can expect after the pro-abortion industry to start changing their language and when the use of the term pro-choice is no longer useful, to start talking about things like women's health. But you know what? I think it's even harder for them to even maintain this. How fast are they going to burn through women's health? What do you think? How, how fast do you think they're going to burn through that term and have to abandon it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Like a like a hot butter knife through butter. <laughs> it, it might not be that quick. Not that quick. <laughs> not not that quick. But I I'm pretty sure the more they use it, the more it's going to wear out. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean because when when it's very clear, and I think it's clear to anybody that women's health doesn't depend on abortion. Women are, I mean, otherwise, aren't all pregnant women totally unhealthy? Aren't all (laughs) pregnant women um, going to die if they don't have abortion? If if their pregnancy is some sort of a disease or a plague that needs to be contained or treated, (laughs) you know? They're, they're, they're destroying healthy pregnancies. How in the world could that be classified in any arena um, under the realm of health? Right. Well, right. But you don't, don't be asking logical and logical questions. <laughs> but I mean, so so I mean, I'm interested in seeing how this plays out. This is going yeah. to be. In- monitoring how fast they burn out the word women's health before people are going, okay, you know what, cut that out because it's not working anymore. That is so five minutes ago you have used that to, to death and it's not working anymore. It's not, it's not applying what you're really all about. Um, so uh, that's interesting. And I and, uh, want to move on to another story I thought was really, really interesting. Remember uh, Okay, I'm getting a little cut out from you, Melissa. Okay. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it sounded like I heard like a like a vacuum. <laughs> it sounded as if that was coming through, but I'm. I feel I can hear better now. Yes, and I'm going to mute you for a minute, Thomas, because your phone is giving off a lot of static. That wasn't my phone. Okay. Um, I hear it when you talk. That wasn't me. Okay. Um, but that's, it's better now. Um, so, where was I? <laughs> We're talking about how, oh, Sherry Shepard from The Wrong View, uh, and the news that hit the media kind of only got play in pro-life circles, but I want to make sure people understand what's happening with her. She had um, she, she was married to her husband, or 
I think they're married. And they were they contracted with the surrogate to have a baby. Mm-hmm. And now that relationship seems to be crumbling with her husband. She has declared that she didn't she doesn't want the baby anymore. Well, the baby is on the way. And mm-hmm. funny how we always talk about, you know, if if you're expecting to have a child with a baby, um well, her fetus is on the way. And the problem mm-hmm. that proposes is since she used a surrogate to have this child, we have now a potential collision in our laws about what can happen to the child. Under the principle of a constitutional right to quote-unquote abortion, which really isn't a constitutional right to abortion, it's a constitutional right to privacy, which is interpreted to include abortion, Anyway, under that so-called constitutional right, uh, the baby is unwanted, and she has the right to abort the child. Is that right? And I want to know, I, and so I asked this several weeks ago, um, how are we going to deal with this ethical dilemma? She has a child that is no longer wanted. Well, you know, she wanted it several weeks ago, but as of several mm-hmm. weeks ago, she doesn't want the child anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we have a a woman that has signed a contract saying she would carry the baby for her, and the baby is is being is on the way. This is a delivery that is a sure thing mm-hmm. because woman did, the woman did not contract to have an abortion. Now, here's, a, here's I mean, there's all kinds of dilemmas. So the question I would have is Sherry Shepard doesn't want the baby, and she has mm-hmm. a right under the constitutional to have an abortion. Can she have an abortion? I don't have an answer to that question. (laughs) (laughs) And could she force the surrogate to have an abortion? I don't have an answer to that question either. And I don't think anybody does. And Mm. And that's the dilemma. Number three, what else can happen? Well, just imagine. Um... This didn't. This isn't just unique to her. I read a story this week about an Australian couple who pretty much has done the same thing. Now, off the top of my head, let me back up just a second. Off the top of my head, I can think about of about six stories of children that were left in cars, and most of them had died. Uh, there was a couple that were rescued in time to save the child children's lives, um, but. We have been hearing about a rash of these stories of children being left in hot cars in the summertime and dying. Mm-hmm. Right? Right? And the right. parents are charged with neglect. Parents are even parents that are, are being charged with neglect for children playing in parks alone or in the neighborhood alone. Mm-hmm. Parents are being for neglect, all I mean, I'm not saying that there's one case that's right and one case that's wrong. I'm saying that people are noticing 
that and charging parents with neglect more often, or at least we're hearing about it more often than we did last year, perhaps. Just recently. This is recent news. But mm-hmm. this, this seems to be something to rationalize. So this story from Australia is is something to think about. Let me let me read this story here. It's an abandoned newborn with Down syndrome born to a surrogate mother in Thailand from an Australian couple. So the abandoned baby, they abandoned a baby that the Australian couple had left after the woman in Thailand um, had the baby and they found out he had Down syndrome and he has been rushed to the hospital and she, and the baby, little baby boy, he's really cute. He has Down syndrome, but he also, also has heart condition. Mm-hmm. This couple did is when they found out this child, they just up and left. They got on the plane and they turned around and went home. They mm-hmm. refused to take this baby, and now here's the here's the the paperwork that I think needs to come into this. When you contract to have a surrogate have your baby, you have mm-hmm. more paper and more dollars saying that this child is your child than any other child on the face of the earth at the same time. Mm-hmm. The only other child that has more paperwork is a child who is adopted. There is more paper saying that this child is their child than any child born in any hospital anywhere else. Now, given the fact that they that this this child is theirs, people have been crying outrage about abandoning the child and how could you and all this and all that. And they can make, and people can make a case. <clears throat> this is your child. Uh, you should take care of your child. At the same time, the birth mother, the 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 mother of the child, is not the birth mother. It may not even be genetically. She may not even be genetically related to the child. Mm-hmm. It's happened mm-hmm. before. But now, yeah. now, here's the situation. This dilemma, how do you force a couple that never took possession of a baby, as if the baby were a piece of furniture or a car or a piece of property, to have and take care of this baby? I don't know. Mm-hmm. We're full of questions today that have no answers. I'm sorry, we wanted, if you called in for answers today, I don't have any for you today. But this <laughs> is one of the things that is happening, and it's going to happen more and more, as wealthy people find out that they don't have to have their own babies. They can pay some other woman who's poor in another country to do it for them. Mm-hmm. And, so the, and additionally, the birth mother since is poor, cannot care for the child financially. Mm-hmm. So who's going to take care of the baby? Everybody mm-hmm. thinks 
about the money that they're going to make, the baby that they're going to have in their minds, mm-hmm. and the child they have in their minds, and then when reality pops its head into the world, mm-hmm. uh, suddenly everybody's thinking about their own welfare and not the welfare of the child. Well, mm-hmm. fortunately for this baby, um, there's a um, there's a GoFundMe for this child to get the medical attention he needs. And I'm mm-hmm. hoping that this child will be adopted into a loving home that will take care of him. You know, I would, you know what? I would take care of this baby. I would. He's cute as heck. I mean, he just looks at this picture. He's cute as heck. And it's not because he's cute as heck I would take him home. But I just feel so uh, like he's been abandoned. And that's what happens mm. when we treat human beings as commodities. This child is yeah. a prostitute to be bought, sold, and returned if defective. Yeah, that's basically it, yeah. And it's a horrible situation, and this is why we need laws and we need to turn our eyes to this this idea of surrogacy, this idea of artificially creating children uh, for business purposes uh, Mm -hmm. and to fulfill some adult need to have a child at all costs and Mm -hmm. value what are these means that we're using to create children and are children really the focus or are our emotional needs really the focus? Well, yeah, and I would say that if they um, were able to walk away from this child, then they weren't ready to be parents. Oh, yeah. Um, because well, a, a parent, uh, I mean, that child is better off without them because a parent is one who is sacrificial. And it's like you said, Letitia, it's almost as if, um, having this baby is to serve their own purposes as opposed mm-hmm. to love another human being um, and to sacrifice for another human being. So, yeah, that they um, they weren't ready to be parents, and th- and that's apparent in their decision. Um, they they didn't have any love for that child in their heart, um, and that's right. what makes a parent. That's what makes a parent. Um, it's not that's just. Right. This, not just like you said, this is a defective item that I can return if it doesn't work out or if I don't, you know, if it doesn't treat me or make me feel the way that I want to be felt or if it's too much trouble. Um, we're talking about a person here. I, I don't, it's, it's, this is really, um, we're on such a, a bad, bad slope here. And I don't know how far it's going to go, but it's scary. Right, and and this child is a person that they specifically paid for to mm-hmm. be to be uh, present on Earth, mm-hmm. and it's and then they want to walk away from this responsibility that they created. Um, so I think that there's a par- there's a statement from the surrogate mother, who I think people need to take into consideration. And listen to her, because I think she certainly wised up over this. She says, I would like to tell Thai women, I would like to add women anywhere, not just in Thailand. Mm -hmm. She says, don't, don't, don't get into this business as a surrogate. Don't just think only for money. If something goes wrong, no one will help us, and the baby will be abandoned from society. And then we have to take responsibility for that. Well, I'm glad she she feels at some responsibility for the welfare of this baby. 
Um, and, and this is just not a good situation for anybody. She is, she's part of her own victimization in this. She let herself be used uh, for the cash that she received. But there's not enough money that she could ever receive for this to, to pay for what's happened. Right. There isn't. And yeah, her advice is sound. Yeah, you were talking about a human life. There's no price that you can put on that, you know. Um, mm-hmm. There's nothing that can that can make up for a life that's here um, and that needs, a, you know, that needs that needs to be nurtured. That's what babies need. That that is their first need is to connect to their their mother and their father and to be nurtured and to feel safe outside the womb. Um, but this situation, this child already is is suffering at the hands of adults who, you know, basically saw this as as an object and a way to get ahead for themselves. Absolutely. And and I hate to say that the woman, she had a part in her own victimhood. Um, She she gave her use of her body to produce a child that, you know, she never intended to keep for her. It's not her child. And, um, and now she's, she's, She's abandoned as well as the baby. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and um, I, I just hope that people learn from this and that Sherry Shepard decides to do the right thing and and not wish that, that her child that she had a surrogate is having a surrogate carry and stop looking at that child as a product. Um, right. You know, that child ain't no box with a shoe with some shoes in it. You know, that woman is not her shoe box, and that baby is not her pair of shoes that she decided, oh, they don't fit no more, and I'm going to mm-hmm. go return it. It's not how life mm-hmm. works. Mm-mm. No, you it's think, not. You think with the history and that's been flared up so much um, in recent days, in recent months, in a recent presidential administration, that all this reference to to reparations on, on a history of American slavery and all that, that a lot of black people would learn that slavery still exists and it exists in different forms and not to be a party to that either. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we're going to learn a lesson in America, let's learn it 100%. Yeah. So um, in that, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk to Thomas. Uh, he's got some pretty—I uh, think he's got some pretty important stuff to talk about. How the pro-life movement can uh, garner more steam, and we, we need more than anything more steam on how to accomplish ab- abolishing abortion in America. And I can't wait. So uh, let's. Take a quick break and come back in a minute. If you want to call in, the number to call in is 760-542-3907. And uh, come chat with us on the chat room. The chat room is open today, uh, amazingly. Mm-hmm.
Hi, everybody. You're tuned to True Life Fridays with Letitia Wong and friends. Don't miss out. Today's great episode is brought to you in part by Lifeboat Coffee. 10% of your purchase at LifeboatCoffee.com will go directly to support True Life Fridays. Just remember to name True Life Fridays when you check out on the web. Hi, everybody. I'm John Lillis, founder and president of Lifeboat Coffee, America's pro-life coffee company. We support True Life Fridays, and we hope you will do. True Life Fridays will be right back. Don't go away. Last year, the Texas legislature passed a bill raising the health and safety standards for the state's abortion clinics. And even though the requirements of this new law are minimal, only about half the state's 36 abortion clinics have been able to comply. The rest have had to shut down, and come September, another dozen or so facilities are expected to close. That's when the second phase of this law goes into effect, and it will require abortion clinics to meet the same medical standards as every other ambulatory surgical center in the state. Naturally, some abortion enthusiasts are describing this requirement as draconian. Now, a report has been released showing that, so far, almost 5,000 fewer abortions have been done as a direct result of this legislation. Naturally, the Texas abortion lobby has spiraled into a state of apoplectic shock over this. To hear them tell the story, Texas women are now on the endangered species list. Of course, this mirrors the dire warnings they issued back during the debate on this bill. At that time, they basically said that if this legislation was passed, we would not be able to walk down to the streets of any city in Texas without tripping over the rotting corpses of women killed because they could not find an abortionist. Fair enough. But here's my question. If thousands of women have already been victimized by this cruel and heartless legislation, where are the rotting corpses we were promised? I realize it's still early, but if this is going to be the Holocaust these people predicted it would be, then 5,000 denied abortions have surely produced at least a small pile of dead bodies somewhere. So where are they? And what are the victims' names? Inquiring minds want to know. And I want to know. And that was a, a video released by Life Dynamics and Mark Crutcher asking about, specifically because Life Dynamics is based out of Texas, about HB2, the bill that requires abortionists to have doctors have uh, yeah hospital privileges and for abortion clinics to comply with regular goodness gracious regular laws that everybody else has to follow not a single law which um, any abortion supporter has it has supported at all I mean it's just amazing they want to be known as women's health advocates, but they don't want to do anything that actually uh, would support women's health. Uh, so, you know, as much as sense as that makes, Mark Kutcher is, is pointing out the fact that months, this was what, back in November of last year when HB2 was passed? Well, you know, it's been around for the better part of a year now. And I don't see thousands of women who are, who are being denied access to abortion, rotting, dying in the streets because they don't have abortion. Like we said earlier, uh, this idea that abortion is necessary for women's health is quite false. And, you know, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see what happens, and, and I'm waiting to see the death toll go up of all these women that uh, died because they needed abortion and couldn't get one. 
so I think that video makes a really good point about how lack of abortion in a particular area does not equal dead women. And I hope that is abundantly clear to everybody else. Now, some people will say, oh, yeah, you're just pass this law. It's no great. I mean, just women are just going to go somewhere else to get an abortion. Yeah, maybe. Some of them will. But not all of them will. And most of them, we hope, and, and that's why we're working so hard in the pro-life movement, to divert their attention to adoption, to uh, pregnancy crisis care, and uh, to help these women become moms or they're already moms, but become good moms, and accept that life is good. Life is better without abortion. You can't say to very many women who have had abortion that they're proud that they killed their own children. You can't say that because it doesn't exist. And so, I mean, the effect of these laws is to shut down clinics. And it has shut down clinics. The effect of this law is to put abortionists out of business. And it has put abortionists out of business. Because it shouldn't be legal, abortionists can kill children and not face murder charges. Because in other cases, they would. There's a case out of, oh, what, what is it? Um, I want to say, is it Texas also? I forget, um, of a, another case of a boyfriend who killed his girlfriend's baby. And he's, and he is in Texas. And he is being brought up on murder, murder charges. Huh, weird, huh? We're going to turn our attention to our friend and co-host, Thomas Smith, who joins us um, I know you've had a difficult week so far, and I really hope and pray that things start looking up, but you have something really important that you wanted to share with us. And uh, I want to start off by asking you, what is it that you saw that prompted you to want to say something? Just this. Oh, first of all, thanks for um, having me on the show. I'm glad to be able to speak to the guest, like, not that I don't speak to the guest every week when I'm on, but, um, no, just having a specific focus to really highlight the fact that the the pro-life movement is so fragmented, so, so discombobulated, and the fact that for the most part, the church, the body of Christ, is not taking a lead in it. You have Catholic organizations, the Catholic Church, who is, if you really think about it, they're conservative on certain issues and they're liberal on a lot of other. Because according to a, a, a Gallup poll, I think it was something like 50 to 55% of all Catholics voted for President Obama. So, mm-hmm. uh, That's right. you know, I'm still trying to reconcile that one. But 
you know, the biggest thing that has hurt the pro-life movement is the infighting over money. Certain organizations who are in it for the advocacy, for the career, the career aspect of it, instead of, instead of to end it, you know, because there's other, as we have so eloquently pointed out on this show, there are other pro-life issues besides abortion. If abortion was to be made illegal, that would not be the end of that would not be the end of the careers for the pro-life lawyers because you have euthanasia, you have you have which is assisted suicide, you have um, human sex trafficking, you have the female genital mutilations. These are all life issues. But nobody ever looks at it. Now, here, here's just like in the conservative movement. You have pro-lifers who are all one, one topic pro-lifers. You have pro-lifers who are just, um, who are just focused on the babies. You have pro-lifers who are for exceptions, for you have pro-life, um, pro-lifers who are incrementalists. You have pro-lifers who are sidewalk counselors and who stand out there and pray. Now, here, when you have that many facets of the pro-life movement, what do you do? And this is what you do. If you want to have an effective pro-life organization, this is what you do. You find pro-lifers who are subject matter experts, sidewalk counseling, uh, pro-life without exceptions, incrementalism, um, euthanasia, human sex trafficking, female genitalia mutilation you have each one of those individuals come up with a concise plan of operation on how they would tackle this issue how they would tackle the issue once all those individuals have come up with a concise plan then the head of the organization along with the board meets with all those individuals, and you don't leave that room until you have a master plan, a complete, whole master plan on how to end abortion, how to stop euthanasia, human sex trafficking. It's called a war strategy, and it's been done for thousands of years. But apparently, just like the GOP conservative, the conservative uh, GOP establishment, that is their platform, except they're not following it. Same thing with the pro-life movement. If you want to have an effective strategy on how to end all these important issues, how to stand 
and eliminate euthanasia, female sex genitalia mutilation. God, I hate saying that. Um, abortion, the um, all those topics. If you want to do away with them, you have to have a complete master plan. And unfortunately, it's sad to say that is one thing that the pro-life movement does not have, nor have they ever had. I, I agree that there is no, um, well, I don't want to say, okay, I, I guess this is a matter of perspective, because here we have what we want to see and what we have seen so far is volume. We have swells and swells of people. 54% of the American public now identifies as some kind of pro-life. They are against right. abortion on demand. The po- most important thing is they are against abortion on demand without apology, which is what right. the left is trying to push. And the public, is, which was at one time saying, I'm okay with abortion, now saying, I'm not okay with it. And this message has been won um, over these 41, nearly 42 years, because of the efforts of individuals. And as much as I see there's a lot of um, personality conflicts and this, as much as any other industry, can be attractive for people who just want notoriety and have different motives. It, it, I think it has served us rather well. Can it get better? Yes. Do we, do, should, could it improve by having people abide by certain goals that are uniform? Yeah, maybe. Uh, but I'm not sure you can bring an entire movement together as like a political party. By the way, just to push back on that, uh, last week we talked about how uh, the governor of New York State, Cuomo, has created the first abortion party of New York. <laughs> so something to think about. Wow. <laughs> That, that's wow. just to push back on my own point, um, but I, I, my point being that I'm, I don't know that you, total unity of the kind that you're talking about can be achieved. Although, in order to, in, in order to get to the goal, which is abolishing abortion, as well as throwing light on other pro-life issues, it could probably help a lot. Right. But I will counter with this. We don't know we don't know what can work and what won't work because all the different aspects of the pro life movement refuse to work together. In fact, let's let's just let's just address the um let's just address the racial component of it. Because the pro-life movement is predominantly white. The black, the black abortion rate is an issue that the pro-life movement shies away from as a whole. Mm-hmm. That is a major problem in and of itself because they are 
because that can be construed as saying we don't really care that the issue is racial in in nature. We just want to end abortion. Well, if you want to end abortion, first of all, you got to get to the root cause of it. And the whole the whole um, stigma behind birth control was to eliminate those individuals that they did not want around, disabled um, people they they didn't think was fit for society, black people. Let's just call let's just call it for what it is. And until the till the pro life movement as a whole, which is and we're just being real, not and this isn't racist, but it's just being real. It's predominantly white. I would say what would you say, Letitia, about eighty to ninety percent of the pro life movement is white? Yeah, I your your observations about how things are are correct. I think that's that's absolutely accurate. Um, I think inferring though that there's a there's a underlying problem that we're ignoring racism could be true. I'm not saying it's false. I'm so I'm just I'm just pushing back on that and saying it could be true. Now where's the proof? And I think right. we've supplied a lot of the proof on our program of that. Um, how does that though then translate into let's have let's bring down the racial barriers and not make this a black or white issue, but make it an issue for everybody. That's going to be a lot more difficult because a lot of people see abortion as a different way. There are people who are pro-life, who consider themselves pro-life, who deny the racial aspect of abortion history in America. Exactly, exactly. And they need to be educated. That's the whole point. They need to be educated, presented with the facts. And then if they still deny the racial aspect of it, then you have to question the motives behind why they're doing what they do. Because they, this is the problem. And let's 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 just um attack uh Take up the issue of racism as a whole for a minute. It's just like in a pro-life movement because the pro-life movement uh, reflects America as a whole. If you think about it, the ones who are playing, who, who are not afraid to talk about race are those who play the race card, liberals. Now, until the issue of race in America is actually legitimately addressed, we're still going to have things bubbling under the surface with the potential to blow up. Just because things have gotten better, it does not mean, and it hasn't been. You can look back at history. Race as a whole has never been addressed in this country from a cultural perspective. It's never happened. And I don't know if people realize that, but that's an observation that I've made, and I've been like, huh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Because, just, I, I, because yeah. just because interracial dating is, is, you know, widely accepted, it doesn't mean that the issue 
of racism has been talked about from a cultural uh, perspective. And reason why I know, because you still, and I've talked to people who have told me, who people who are in interracial relationships that told me, my family has said, um, well, what are you going to do? What, what about what people think and all this stuff? That tells me right there that people have not had the talk about the issue of racism from a cultural perspective. And until we do, we will keep allowing the liberals to um, frame the narrative and play the race card. So let me get this straight. You think, and now we're diverting our attention a little bit away from the pro-life aspect of this. You think that not talking about and not admitting that we're, we're still culturally very, how shall I say this, racist, will fuel liberals' uh, efforts, the liberals' narratives that we're all still racist? I, uh, help me out here. No, no, no. What I'm saying, we need to get out in front of, because the liberals already have that narrative. But what we need to do, we need to debunk what they're saying. The only way to debunk it is if you have the discussion. But we on the right believe that if you just don't talk about it, then it'll go away. That's not how it works. Because when you you disagree... When you disagree with the policy of a liberal, then you get called racist. Case in point, and, and this this is this is pro life related. The NAACP, represented by the ACLU, is once again suing the state of state of Arizona, saying that their uh, um, their bill that um, makes it a criminal for any abortion, make it a crime for any abortion doctor to knowingly abort a baby based on race or gender, the NAACP is suing, saying that that bill will discriminate against minority and Asian women I read the article yesterday, and I right. just had to laugh because yeah. I'm like, really? Are you guys really that? You guys so irrelevant that you're really feeding from the trough of the liberal lies. I mean, if they knew how, oh, my gosh, they're, when I think about how they're being used, the old character, the caricature that um, of the monkeys, that plant, that Democrats, racist Democrats used to draw about black people come to mind. And that's the NAACP. I'm going to be real. I'm going to call it for what it is. Because when you can continue to allow racial components to take place, race, racist things to happen within your own community, and you overlook them, because they come from the party that pays you, but yet when a conservative, be them black or whatever conservative, disagrees with policy, not the color of your skin, but policy, suddenly they're racist? 
And that's the same thing in the pro-life movement, in the, pro, the pro-abortion movement. They, they, pro-abortionists, they, they played the race card. Oh, you're just trying to, you're just trying to uh, restrict the reproductive health of minorities. You're racist. That's a bunch of garbage. How is trying to save a, uh, how is trying to save a, a group of people from extinction racist? I mean, it goes right. back to May, it goes back to May 10th of 2012 when um, Dr. Dave Gardner and the other um, four um, pro-lifers infiltrated the meeting of um, the black, the uh, the Congressional Black caucus in the Congressional Pro-Choice Caucus, and in a meeting, they were uh, upset because um, headway was being made in reducing the uh, rates of abortion in the black community. And in the strategy session, they said, well, what we need to do, we need to, foc- we need to focus on Race, race issues like Trayvon Martin case. That way, people it'll stir up people. They'll start crying racism, and then they won't be able to make any more headway. And I remember talking to Dr. Gardner about that, and it just it floored me. We also we also talked a little bit about it here on the show, but it just shows you they are willing to overlook genocide within their own community because it doesn't support their narrative. And I'm talking about the so-called leaders of the black community. Right. I'm still yeah, waiting to... Yeah, been there. Let, yep. So, Letitia or Melissa, first of all, answer me this question. Who died and anointed them are the leaders of the black community. That's what I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> Who anointed the NAACP, the leaders of the black community? <laughs> right. Well, that, also goes to, that also goes to the question, you know, why does the black community need a leader? Uh, why exactly. can't people? Why can't people speak for themselves? I don't know. You know, I I don't know that any personally any black person wakes up in the morning and says, "I what does my leader say and what do I need to follow?" Uh, <laughs> and, wow. And it's pretty scary sounding, doesn't it? Sound that way? Um, yep. I mean, some of us do. That's that's the scary and the funny part about it. <laughs> oh, well, well, you. So, to to answer your question, um, I mean that that's that's how that's one of the things. You know, why do we need a leader? But at the same time, right. people voted for these people. They're in the Congressional Black Caucus because they won an election, and now they're seating. You know, they're seated in the in the in the Congress with that type of power. Mm-hmm. And uh but we live in America. If we don't like their representation, we think their representation is wrong, please, for the love of God, vote them out of office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, I would say that the, the leaders who the leaders who we have in, in place, um, those who are who are you know, politicians and have uh, positions of power um, who are black that they don't represent for the most part the values of the black community. Um, of course they and don't. So in that aspect, um, they're not they're not our leaders. And and I, you know again I don't I don't need it. We, white people don't 
don't do that. They don't they don't expect one white person or one white group of people to to speak for them and for their values. And so I think that that's why we need to 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 stay strong, um, to hold to our values, and to um, not look to these people who don't represent our values to speak for us and to follow them blindly, which happens all too often. And, and I don't understand because you see people who who will stand for one thing, but then they will completely support someone else who doesn't um, remotely hold to their, their position because of the skin color. Um, so it's just, it's so, to me, to me it's a no-brainer. If you don't, you know, if you don't support what I support, if you don't hold the same ideology that I, that I hold, you're not getting my vote. You're not getting my support. I don't care what color right. you are. It's that black and white. But to a lot of people, it, it just isn't. They they don't, they can't see past the skin color. They can't see it. And so um, it's, yeah, it, 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 it puzzles me because, I mean, right. I don't view that way and I don't view myself that way and I don't view uh, my decisions that way. I, I view right. my decisions on what does, what does God say about this first and foremost. Right. Right. So let's, and, let's bring this back. Well, let's bring this back to the pro-life aspect of right. it. And your aim, Thomas, is to try to bring some additional unity to the pro-life movement. And I don't disagree with that at all. I think we do need a little bit more unity or a lot more unity than we actually have right now. Right. Uh, but right. but it's, it's great that you have and, and that one of those aspects that we need to, to talk about in the pro-life community is the racial historical nature of the abortion industry here in right. America that does need to be talked about. But outside right. of that, tell me the how. Tell me the how. How is this, How would you like to see this happen? Well, first of all, for first of all, you're going to, for it to happen, you have to have the, quote, movers and shakers of the pro-life movement be willing to come together in in a type of pro-life summit. And if you can have a summit where everybody would be willing to talk, not try, talking not talking over each other, but just talking and strategizing and coming up with an kind of like kind of like the a political party, if you will, coming up with an effective platform. See, the GOP have, has multifaceted facets of its platform. And actually how it's supposed to work, certain there's a person responsible for each facet of the platform. They do their part. And then... The part that they do, as I said earlier, then they come together with an effective strategy. You know, if, if like, let's use the whole incrementalism approach to legislation versus pro-life without exception. Neither one of them is wrong, but there, there is an effective strategy to combine those two. And I'm yeah. going to tell you what that is. I'm going to tell you, it, it just, as I said that, it came to me, literally. Okay, here's how you combine those two. You have the, the ex, as, the, as the incrementalists 
are proposing their bill and putting forth their bill, then you have you have those pro-life without exceptions legislation legislators working on the same bill to come up with how can you then go back if it passes and it passes for a while then you then you go back and then you strip the exceptions out of the bill later see yeah, that has been that has been an effective strategy that has been used in Congress for a long time. But rather than we as pro-lifers trying to do that, we rather fight and argue and literally come to places of hatred over who's right, whose position's right, and whose position's wrong. It's like I said, like I, um, me and Carrie was talking. We had a good conversation. I said, I don't, I don't believe and the incrementalist approach to legislation. But here's the difference. Just because I don't agree with it doesn't mean I don't have the ability to understand it because I understand exactly the approach. But being a tubal pregnancy survivor, of course I'm not going to agree with it. That, that was something that personally hit home with me. But... For others, you cannot continue to get up in your emotions. It's an emotional charge thing, and I'm talking about, you know, I love them to pieces. They abolish human abortion groups. You can't get up in your emotions. If you if you want to be effective, even for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and even evangelizing, if you want to be effective, you have to be willing to walk as Jesus walked. And Jesus did not always walk in a manner that was confrontational. He did when he needed to be, so don't, don't get me wrong there. But when he needed to use grace, mercy, and love, he did. Nicodemus is one person that comes to mind. The woman at the well is another one person that comes to mind. And that's is how we will kick the tail of the pro abort period. Okay, yeah. Melissa, you I have mean, something I, to say? Yeah, I mean, um, that, yeah, it sounds good, and I mean, I, that would be great. Um, the problem is that, well, the, the major problem is that we're sinners, <laughs> and as sinners, we don't um, tend, we tend to be divided, and that's just unfortunately our nature. Um, and even as Christians, we, we deal with that and battle that. Um, and then I would say, you know, in regards to incrementalism versus, you know, those who are, you know, 100% um, stop abortion now, no compromise, that kind of approach, um, there isn't, there, it's a, there's a theological battle there, too. Um, one side says that um, you're not following the scriptures, that you're disobeying God because you are, um, you know, you're taking this incremental approach, and Jesus wouldn't have did it this way. So it's a it's a fight theologically as well about what would Jesus do, and you're sinning by doing this, and you know you're not following the scriptures, and we are. So it gets a little more um, deeper um, than can we just lay our cards on the table and, and just do this thing together when when there's um, you know charges of theological. Um, error and you know those sort of things. So I, w- I was just going to add that that there's that component as well. 
and and you and you uh, this is this is way I deal with that aspect when something like that. I just I just quote one scripture and then I leave I leave folks to argue with themselves. Because the Bible is very clear, but there is a time where you have to look at things. See, we're so busy fighting that we don't we actually don't have time to actually listen for the wisdom from God. And God would actually give us the wisdom on actually how to deal with it if we would shut up long enough fighting amongst these ourselves to actually listen to them. But see, here's the here's the point with that. Those who take the position though, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you have then you say to them, Let he who has no sin cast the first stone. That's what that's one. Two and the word also says, um, remove the log from your own eye before you try to remove the speck from your brothers. That's all you say. You speak scripture, and then you then you go about your business. Because I don't need I don't need to prove my point. Because really, if you know what what side, no either side of the debate, the way I would shut the whole debate down is this. The scripture we open open with Deuteronomy chapter thirty verse nineteen. I record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life so that you and your seed might live. And then I'd walk away and leave them to debate that because the scripture is very clear. But God also knows that there are different dynamics and different, you know, different things that until we either come to a place where we're seeking his wisdom to try to do, try to find the solutions instead of trying to find the solutions through our own wisdom, which is lacking, that we'll keep fighting among ourselves, and that's not his. That's not his will for us. Luke eleven well, seventeen. So I think as I think as people work this out, um, eventually I think people understand what the bottom line is, and and also I mean I I don't want to cut this off. But I think you've provided a lot of good pleading for um, for the unity that we do need. I think I mean like I said earlier, we do certainly need that, but. At the same time, this is America, folks. This is America, <laughs> where right. we we live and we thrive on being able to uh, tackle a problem our own way. And there has to be a balance between, hey, the kingdom of God requires us to have a certain level of cooperation versus we need freedom to be able to tackle each problem that presents itself to us in in the way that we want, uh, we think is best. So, I mean, not all pro-life groups tackle the exact same thing about pro-life. Um, you know, some groups are about legislation and lobbying and um, being able to pass legislation. Some groups are about electing pro-life uh, persons to office, and that's their primary function. And then some of us are here on the ethical end of things trying to persuade the general public. And then there are yet yeah. other groups 
that are me, that are primarily me, sidewalk, you know, abortion. Right, 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 right. Listen to what I'm saying, though. I address that. That that's all well, fine, and good. But those gro- groups that do those specific things still should be under under a unified master plan. It doesn't I, matter. As That's nice what as I'm that saying. Sounds like I'm not. Well, I think the master plan is to abolish abortion. Here, here's the thing. Or get here's rid the of thing. it in some plate, way, shape, or form. But, but listen, uh, I, heard, I heard what you say. I heard what you say. We do need to move on. Uh, you, please don't hang up. Uh, we need to bring our friend Carrie on the on the show, and this is his time. And, and I'm so glad that he's with us. Um, Go ahead. Back to, hey, Carrie. Back to time where we, we have our regular guests back on. And, Carrie, this is your time. You have something special for us, don't you? Well, I, I, I talked to you a little bit about getting Cheryl Sullinger uh, to interview during this yeah. time. It's not going to work out. Okay. So uh, we hadn't had, we, you and I hadn't really talked much about it. That was one of my goals, but we never, never really got, got to discuss it. So, no, but I, I'm a big fan of hers. Um. But obviously, there's lots to talk about whenever it comes to pro life. Sure, but this is yeah, your time, and I heard, I've heard let's go. <laughs> well, I'll just say this: you know, I don't want. I, I'm not really excited about wading into the incrementalist argument again. But uh, I think the entire Bible is incremental. If it wasn't, then the Lord wouldn't have put Adam and Earth on. Adam and Eve on earth, them sin, and then end up in the end when Revelation comes. There'd be no point in, in that. There'd be no point in Christ coming after he gave the Jews a chance. So, so God does things incrementally. So to, to use incrementalism as an evil word is, or an unscriptural way of doing things is, is I think, unfair. And I also strong, you know, here's what I think. And I know. The facts are this. I know Troy Newman. I know Adam Johnson. I know Lila Rose. You know, Cheryl Solinger, and in fact, like, I'm trying to think of someone that's major in pro-life that isn't 100% no exceptions. I can't think of anyone. So the reality, it, it, there is no issue whether we're not 100% pro-life. That isn't the issue. We're not. I, I think that a woman, in the case of rape, for example, that's probably the most um, controversial topic. I think Lila Rose answered it perfectly when she said that you that abortion does not unrape a woman, and we all agree with that. So uh, as far as uh, pro-life voting, let's let's take this out of – I don't know of any organization that actually crafts uh, exceptions into the law. I think that's done at the level of, uh, of politicians and government. But I will say this. I will never not vote for legislation that restricts abortion. And I think when you vote, when you refuse to vote for it or you vote against it or you lobby against it, number one, you find yourself on the same side as Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and now. So that's gonna, that's, that should give everybody pause. And secondly, um, if you can save one baby, you know, God puts in front of you what you can do. And if you can save one baby through one abortion center closing, then you've saved a baby. And that is what, and you talk about choose life, that's called choosing life. And so we're not, we can't stand out in front of the abortion centers. We can't scream and holler and yell and say we want abortion to end now immediately and instantly. And then there's no plan. There's no strategy. We're just going to, we just expect it to end. It's not going to end that way. 
It has to end with people speaking out, which we all do, and with people voting in more and more and more pro-life people. When, when, and, and it's working. What we're doing, if you take a look at all the polls, all the polls now are showing that the majority of Americans are now pro-life. And that is a huge change from back in the 80s and in the 90s and the early 2000s. But it's turned, turned the corner around 2011, and now we are there's more pro-life Americans than there is pro-choice Americans. So that says a lot. What, so I think what we are doing is effective. It isn't going to happen overnight, but nothing happened overnight. You know, Jesus could have gone immediately to the cross. Now, he could have been born 33 years old and walked to the cross. But he didn't do it that way. And, and we, we live in a world, and a world that God invented and that God made and that God created. And, there, and there's a time frame, and that's just the way it works. And if what we're doing in our hearts is trying to stop abortion, and the end game is all abortion for all of us, there's no, you know what, that, that's the straw man argument made by AHA, that somehow we're not for ending abortion, that we just want, Regulated good abortion. I don't know a single pro-life person, with this. <laughs> and, um, and so that's just not true and not fair. So you know that's my my thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, what else have you got going on in uh, Project Wildfire Land? Well, we've uh, started a new page, and uh, it's we're trying. You know, I think one of the great things that's happened has been. Um, the Students for Life of America, and they've done some great things. And the kids nowadays are taught the pro-life generation, and it's just um, amazing how many students stand out now for life and go to these marches. And when I was in D.C., you see so many people out there that are, that are young people that are in college that are doing great things for pro-life. And uh, I know that in, in particular Project Wildfire was named by a uh, 16-year-old girl who was really adamantly pro-life and came up with an idea and it ended up becoming the name of um, the organization that I have now. But, um, but So we just felt like maybe we needed some educational tools to educate younger kids. So we came up with Milo, the pro-life super dog, the adventures, uh, <laughs> which sounds kind of funny, but I, I post pictures of my dog all the time on Facebook, and he... Uh, he comes to the clinics with us, and uh, <coughs> it seems to break the ice, and, you know, people pet the dog, and there's no anger at the dog, usually. Um, and what I thought we would do is just come up with a page that um, talks to kids between the ages of about 10 to about 16. And um, that's an age that they're really not being reached. Their parents are kind of unsure how to... Um, how to talk to their kids about that, and so we've come up with this, and I think it's been good. I think uh, I think Cheryl uh, uh, Sondre did a good good one. I know Andy Moore has done a guest uh, lesson as uh, from Milo, and so uh, you know, we're, we're starting to get some popularity. We really want that to be. I've gotten some really great feedback from that page, and we're just hoping that get the word out that uh, that there is people talking about everything. And we talk about kids, you know, it's a safe page. It's a page that we monitor closely. We don't, you know, reports go on it. We immediately delete the remarks. 
There may, may be a second or two when they're on there, but there's, there's no way to really control that in the world of Facebook. And but what it's, is, a pretty good job. it's a Facebook page. You're talking about a Facebook page, right? I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, I am. It's, and okay. it's called The Adventures of Milo, the Pro-Life Superdog. And it, and okay. Maybe it <laughs> pretty cute. No, I have seen it. But, it's pretty cute. I had no idea it was a targeted toward uh, the 10 to 16-year-old uh, crowd, although 10-year-olds really shouldn't be on Facebook. But anyway, that's beside the point. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know that uh, that's probably true, but it also gives parents a good idea of how to how to say things that maybe they, they don't know how to say, how to talk about right. what pro-choice is, what an abortion is, what a clinic is, what the difference between, uh, you know, how, how Planned Parenthood uses the term clinic to make it sound medical, uh, but it's really not a safe place. It's... Uh, one of the first ones I did was a Hansel and Gretel kind of a thing where we talked about how that people were lured in because, let's face it, this is the the target group that Planned Parenthood is going after right now, unfortunately, and telling them that sex is good, there's nothing wrong with sex, no matter how many sexual partners you have, it doesn't say anything bad about you, all the crazy stuff Planned Parenthood teaches them. And this is kind of in response to that and in a way for parents is if they're going to go, the kids are going to go to a page, they can go there and, and so we just created a character out of Milo, and we have a card, put in a cartoon. And um, but uh, it's it's turning out pretty good. We're getting a lot of response, a lot of really great feedback on it, and, and we're really hoping that we reach a lot of kids that way. That sounds great. Um, yeah, as a resource for parents, it's awesome, and having those conversations. And and you're right. This is an age group that Planned Parenthood is aggressively targeting, uh, with uh, a lot of these school school birth control and condom handing out programs that they're encouraging public schools to adopt. And, you know, they'd be more than willing to chuck in, you know, cartfuls of condoms to the school and say, here, just have them if the schools are willing to pass them out. And I think those conversations, I mean, whether or not people like it or not, they are they should be happening because it's in your face. They're really, Planned Parenthood has gotten in people's face with this. Yeah, and they, and they do. And, and I think we need to, um, here's a uh, Here's one of my very first lessons. I'll just quickly read it to you guys, give you an idea of what we're doing here for the kids. Uh, today, some of the good guys at Live Action sent some young humans, ages 13 and 15, into the Planned Parenthood abortion clinic. Uh, it's a very, very bad place. Now, this is Milo, the pro-life superdog, talking to kids. They pretend to be good guys, but they are very bad. Mm-hmm. When you think of PP, you think of the story of Hansel and Gretel. Remember how the witch put a trail of cookies into her house? Right. When Gretel followed them to the door, and when they got inside, there was a big oven. Well, the mean old witch was just really trying to cook them, and that is what Planned Parenthood is like. They tell kids they want to help them, but they're really trying to hurt them. They lie to the kids, just like the witch and Hansel and Gretel. They tell them bad things are good and wrong things are right. They try to confuse right. them so they will have a baby before they are married. They do that, right. and they'll end up putting an abortion and kill the baby. Planned Parenthood makes money when they do that. They only care about money and will say anything to get kids to have one. So anyway, the guys at Live Action had the two kids wear tiny video cameras, and they recorded the lady and Planned Parenthood telling them how to do bad things. Now they're telling everyone what P.P. said, and P.P. is in trouble once again. And right. it makes me happy when Live Action does good things like that. So remember, no matter what anyone tells you, Planned Parenthood is a bad, bad place. Now there's a picture of Hansel and Gretel and a witch in front of Planned Parenthood. <laughs> you should put that. Make that a meme. I think I would, I would put that around. That would be awesome. Um, and yeah, and I think your 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 efforts at 
at being one of the people that would spread this information around, we certainly need it to catch, um, is is very important because it is in your face. It is now, I mean, they're, they're telling kids, and this we went back, you know, going back in time, we did talk about this when they came out with those those videos on YouTube uh, with the, the young-looking college-age girl um, talking about how to, quote-unquote, play and all this BDSM stuff, and the video is targeting teenagers and yep. telling them it's okay to have these sexual experiences that could actually physically be very dangerous for you. But at the same time, you know, the underlying message is, you know, sex before you're an adult is okay. And you don't have to tell anybody. And you can just go, uh, you know, whatever feels good, go ahead and do it. If something goes wrong, you don't have to worry about it because we'll never tell your parents if we give you an abortion and you're 13. Don't worry about it. That's right. We'll hurt it and save. Yeah, well, you know, I have a a sign now, which I've put together, and I'm carrying it now in front of Planned Parenthood, and on it it says, $100 cash reward for anyone who can name a single abortion regulation or safety standard that Planned Parenthood has ever supported. And that, that's, there's not, there's not, nobody, right. I have no worries about losing my money. I, I don't either. After all that. <laughs> because they've I, never I, once supported any safety standard. They don't want it. You know, they don't even want, you know, the most obvious one, which they cry about how it's costing them too much money. But to have a doctor with admitting privileges, somehow that's unfair and unreasonable. Are you kidding right. me? You're doing a surgical procedure where a woman can die. But you don't need a doctor that's qualified enough to even have admitting procedures at a hospital within 30 miles. I mean, how, how can they? Is, how they get away with it is amazing to them. Oh, they, this in light of the fact this is a post Douglas Carpin, a post Kermit Gosnell abortion um, world. You know, we have we've exposed the fact that Douglas Carpin and Kermit Gosnell are routinely, you know, they're they're misdeeds. On top of the fact that they were committing abortions, the late term abortions, um, the the conditions of their of their abortion uh, facilities are horrifying. Yeah. There is a reason why Kermit Gosnell's House of Horrors was called House of Horrors. I call it the House of Cat Feces because that there was more cat feces on the floor than there were, um, you know, bandages in the building. And it was a horrible place, but that's what he was doing. He was out, out for the money. But you know what? That's what right. And Planned Parenthood had said that they wanted to. Oh, this is horrible. Oh, it's so horrible. We need to do something about it. And then once anybody decided they wanted to do something about, it, they opposed it. And that is the about face that really people need to just pay attention to. Well, the other thing specifically is um, they recommended people to go sham. In yeah. some of the states where they didn't have, where they had where they did not have late term abortions, they started recommending that they go see Kermit Gosnell. And then they, what they did was they managed to destroy records and refuse to answer questions. And they weren't forced the Senate or no one would ever subpoena them, so they were never required to provide proof that they didn't recommend them. But a, a lot of people say that they went to a Planned Parenthood for, and wanted a late term abortion and said, "Look, you're way beyond what we can do, but go see Kermit Gosnell." And, and the other thing, I mean, let, let's face it, Planned Parenthood has got the greatest disinformation. They're, they're awesome at it. I mean, I, I, I despise them, but they're awesome at their disinformation campaign and their ability to control the media. They came out, and this happened in Florida, the Born Alive Infant Protection Act, and mm-hmm. they had a, a lady named was Alicia Snow, 
and she was representing Planned Parenthood, and the guy actually said to her, and I'm hesitant to ask this because I don't understand why Planned Parenthood is here today objecting to this law, but what do you suggest should happen if a baby is born alive, breathing, and moving on an operating table during a botched abortion? What do you suggest happens? Now, this is, on, this is in the Florida legislature on tape. And the lady said, we believe a, a decision should be between the, the uh, woman and her, and her doctor. Right. They endorsed infanticide yep. right there. That is literally right. infanticide. They endorsed it, and they've gotten away with it. Oh, we didn't really mean it. She was she was confused, uh, you know, and they the nod. They tried. They, they actually they made that go away. But if anything shouldn't go away, that shouldn't go away. So that's why we got to be out there. And, and people think, you know, I, I'm obsessed with uh, going after Planned Parenthood, and I'm sure they say it to a lot of us that are pro-life. But um, if we don't. Nobody will, and they do everything they can to try to, um, you know, to, to marginalize us and make us seem like the bad guys, but they are the bad guys. Absolutely, absolutely, and they've never met a right, you're right, they've never met a regulation they didn't want to reject, and here, hey, they, are, here they are trying to say we're for women's health. Uh, yes, Thomas? I want to say something about Planned Parenthood, because see, Planned Parenthood is the one entity. See, I look at it as the corporation. They're the snake who needs to have their heads cut off. And if there's one organization where we should really go brutally after their policies, especially the racism, that's Planned Parenthood. When Cecile Richards make comments about uh, or she refuses to answer questions when someone asks, so when, when, is, when do you say a baby's born and she gives some stupid answer? She needs to be called on that because honestly um, everybody's well, like, I think well, we are. No, but what I mean, I mean, I mean brutal to the point where you take the gloves off because these folks, they don't want to be civil. It, this, it, and, and I could be wrong on this, but in my opinion, with the likes of Planned Parenthood, this, that's one of the times, and I'm talking to organization. I'm not talking to women who have the abortions. I'm not talking that. I'm talking to liars. That's the time where you have a Jesus tipping over the table in a temple tying a whip moment using words, of course, but that's when it applies because Planned Parenthood, ha- and um, Carrie's right, Planned Parenthood's done so much stuff, and they've been able to manipulate and make things get a- go away also because of the help of the mainstream, lamestream media. We need to call them out, too. That's one aspect of the abortion industry, NARAL, anybody else. I have no problem going after the snake to cut off its head because they have done too much. If you see, Thomas, if you you see what's been happening, Bill O'Reilly has had Lila Rose on, Sean Hannity has had Lila Rose on. Uh, They've been talking about it all over uh, Fox News. So it's getting a lot of attention, these videos they've done, these these sex tape Mm -hmm. videos where they're trying to promote, as Leticia's aware of, the the SDP. Whatever bondage crap they call it. I don't even know what they yeah, call it. Yeah, I saw that, and I'm looking at that like, 
I just looked and my mouth dropped. I'm like, so what who I'm saying, though, is that? My point I'm making is that Lila Rose, uh, Abby Johnson, uh, I think everybody despises Planned Parenthood, so I think we're all going after them as hard as we can. I mean, you know, it, it, what you can do one-on-one, I mean, when I'm in front of Planned Parenthood, the guard comes out and is polite to me because I'm polite to him. And they know me. I'm not going to, you know, I, I'm not going to be, uh, not going to change what I say or what I do, but I'm not mean to people. I'm not, see, that, that's the idea. The truth is, if you were to go around and talk to the security at all the Planned Parenthoods in the country and, and have them talk off the record, what they would say is the pro-lifers out front are really nice people. They treat us good. And, uh, and, and we, we don't have any issues with them. Now, what, but what the official standard Planned Parenthood is that they, they need a, a buffer zone. And right. that we're so violent, we're going to beat them up. You know, I've the, the, I've never said anything rude to a woman that's gone in to get an abortion right. or just left the clinic uh, that has gotten an abortion. So, uh, how we handle ourselves as Christians in that one-on-one situation with Planned Parenthood, I think uh, I think they know the truth. They do know the truth. Planned Parenthood knows that we're not a threat to them as far as what they put in the media. They know that we're not we're not yelling at people. We're not. Preventing anyone right. from getting an abortion. Now that stuff ended in the nineties. Right, exactly. No, you. That's a that's a very good point. Me, me, just just because uh, my mom's experience with um, and it wasn't a Planned Parenthood. This was actually when they still did the procedures in the hospitals. Um, you know, ever since then, and then knowing their history, I'm. I'm talking about going after, you know, not even necessarily the clinics, the corporate structure, because you have those fat cats up there making half a million dollar payrolls off of basically as um in as the video blood money. That's blood money. That's blood on their hands. Right, right. But here's here's what I think Carrie is trying to say. It would be a very if more effective strategy, and you're talking about words, using words. I think we would rather reverse that. What can we do to hit the corporate structure where it hurts? And that's in the pocketbook. And by by systematically shutting off their in, their revenue stream. And Good we point. do it with a smile on our face, and we should be smiling and, and being nice to those that are in this industry because, remember, they have to actually be saved out of this industry as well. They're as complicit as they are while they're in it. They can also come out. And I think the point That's that Terry is making is, is, is the face of how the pro-life movement, as it is, needs to go forward. We do need to have that knife, and, but we need to stick it where it belongs. Well, I think a lot of things people can do locally, though, too, is, is be aware of the local schools, see if Planned Parenthood has a relationship with the local schools that's coming in and right. doing any type of sex education. That's when parents can speak up. You make sure that you've got parents or people that you know that are Christian, that have kids in the public schools, that attend those meetings of the uh, county school boards and speak up against Planned Parenthood and talk about some of that stuff. And, and when we have the backup of uh, they're being exposed, talking about, you know, underage uh, sex. and health. I think the one lady recommended she go to a, a porn shop, and she knew the girl was 15, well, the girl was allegedly 15, uh, pretending to be 15, and that was what the, the 
plant-hearted worker believes she was. So there's lots of things you can do locally to hurt their income stream, and that is make sure that they're not they don't become mainstream. They're, they, they're, they're doing everything they can to, I mean, that, that is, it, it's a brilliant strategy is to put, is hashtag health care. And that's why you'll see most pro-life people saying that Planned Parenthood is not health care, but, but they love to do things like that. They, it, they disguise the truth. There's no, nothing healthy about that. There's nothing healthy they do. I, I read the other day um, somebody was still trying to say that Planned Parenthood does mammograms. They do not do mammograms. Right. And mm-hmm. they, may, they may refer out for a mammogram, but I could refer you to a, get a mammogram. I mean, you know, that's nothing. That, that, anybody can refer someone to get a mammogram. That means nothing. So uh, right. Planned Parenthood doesn't do mammograms. Planned Parenthood loves they, they try not to talk about it. They've never directly answered the question because they don't, they don't allow themselves to be interviewed in, in situations. And Cecil Richards, uh, one of the writers that I know that works for LifeSite News, was telling me that uh, during that one interview, which you were talking about, Thomas, she was sending him a hand signal to stop asking that question about when life began because she, that was a question she didn't want to answer. And the reason she didn't want to answer that question is because Roe v. Wade was decided because they said they couldn't decide when life began. Right, so right. Yes. Now, there's no question about when life begins now. Science has proven it. There's no embryology textbook in existence that doesn't say life begins. Human life begins at conception. So if she had answered that question, that would have been like that she would have been siding against Roe v. Wade. So she, you know, I don't know. For me, uh, life began when my children were born. Yeah, that's exactly so she, what she that's said, why she and said I laughed. That. Right. But that's why right. she said that. Though. Understand, understand her strategy, and you got to got to be ten steps ahead of these people and understand what they're really talking about. That is a horrible question for them to deal with because Roe v. Wade could be overturned on that basis. We do know now that life begins. There's science. Science has proven. You know, if they can say that life exists on Mars, if they can find a single molecule, then how can they say that a, a, that a human DNA inside a, a woman that is moving is alive is not life. It is life. Exactly. So they, don't, they, don't want, they do not want Roe v. Wade going back in front of the court. And that is why they're trying to get what's-her-name to retire, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, because they want to right. make sure that Obama can appoint someone that's radically pro-abortion in her right. place. Right. But and she, luckily, she's a stubborn old lady, and I hope she sticks around for three more years when there's a Republican. She already said she was. I am, I am praying for her to live to 110, Lord willing. She actually. I'm praying for her to be there three more years and then retire. Yes, at least then that long. At least that long. Um, but. Then, then she'll be replaced with somebody that's pro-life, that. and that's the end of that. that. Then we actually have a majority again. Right. Um, but, yes, at least that long. <laughs> right. Well, she's going to vote pro-choice as long as she's on. That's why I say no longer. Uh, yes. I, I, I just, I but just there's an expiration date. Long enough date. to be replaced by somebody else. Right. But, yeah, but there's an expiration date on her tenure now that she's a little bit older. And what what yep. I don't want to see is her being replaced by somebody who's under the age of forty, which is and who likely. is radically like Nina Pillar is, is exactly Absolutely. who we would put in her place. That's exactly Absolutely. who we would put in her place, and she is the most radical pro-abortion woman to exist on the planet. That's an attorney, anyway. That's correct. Well, so thank you. I, I, um, I 
So any any more okay. news from the Project Wildfire front? That's about it. I appreciate y'all having me on today, and I'll maybe yeah. see you again next week. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks, Carrie. Yep, have okay. a good one, Carrie. Bye, guys. Bye. Right. And with that, we're going to move move on along. There was one aspect of this pro-life stuff that I wanted to get to um, and bring you a really great story. Um, a great story and then a great, great story. The great story. I know story what you're going to say. No, you don't. Yes, no, I you do. don't. Oh, stop it. No, you yes, don't. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. I don't. Don't make me laugh today because it makes me cough at the same time. Well, uh, you do know who Thaddeus Bullard is? Uh, no. No. All right. He's six foot four. He weighs two hundred seventy pounds, and he, his other name, is Titus O'Neil. Now, do you know who he is? Oh, he's a WWE wrestler. Um. Well, I don't think he's WWE, but he is yeah. a wrestler. Yeah. WWE. I've seen he him. Is WWE wrestler? Oh, yes, he is. Okay, yep. you're right. You're right about that. And guess that his story made uh, the live site news, which was really awesome because I wanted to bring this out to our audience. This guy is going to be one of wrestlers' um, larger names because he's young and he's got a great future, but he wasn't always... <laughs> he didn't always have such a great future if his mom had made a different choice. Now, the story behind his life is his mother was raped and conceived with him, and the thing is, she was raped when she was 11 years old. Ooh. She was 11 years old. And one thing the pro-abortionists love to say when they defend abortion in the case of rape is what about a really young girl who gets pregnant from rape? And they want you to say, oh, you know, we're, you know you're an exception. If you're, let's, let's blah, 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 all right, all right. Exceptions. Except for the fact that even really young girls getting given adequate medical care can bring a baby to term. And we can care for both the girl and the baby, and that is the first and primary goal, and not think about how, who do we need to kill in order to save the life we want, expect an 11-year-old girl to have. Right. Something was taken from this 11-year-old. She was raped. That should never have happened. But we can't then go and victimize her a second time by forcing her into a procedure to kill a life within her and say it's for her own good. Right. We can't do that. Because we destroy a life to do that, and we we probably would destroy her life as well. Right. And now why I bring this wrestler's story to our show is to show that the, the defense or the rationalization for why we need to give 11-year-olds a, you know, the right to have an abortion or give them abortions is that their children 
also, the next is their children are all going to grow up poor, <coughs> excuse me, poor and unwanted, and never going to be anything in society. <coughs> well, right. people are paying a lot of money for a ticket to see this man wrestle. <coughs> excuse me. And I believe that everybody deserves a chance at making a life for themselves once they have that life. You can't take it away once they have a life. Right. So here's the story that I wanted to share, and the big, big, big story, even greater story, hard to imagine, than that, (coughs) is that Miriam Abraham, Abraham is back in the United States. Yep. She but there is a even the there's a even the bigger story than that though, Letitia. Okay. And Which you that? didn't even mention. The last abortion clinic in the Kansas City metro area on the Kansas City, Kansas side of the river closed forever. Yes, you're right. And uh Sorry for not mentioning it, but you know, we only have so much time, but that is I certainly know. something that is that is awesome. Yeah. Uh on top of the So one now there's Texas, one left in Missouri. One left in Missouri and another one down in Texas. They're down another abortion clinic in Texas. Two two yep. closures in the same week. Um yep. yeah. and we're getting there, folks. We are getting there. <clears throat> so uh Thomas, you had mentioned Jesus several times today, and I want to honor your choice to mention Jesus by showing you the stupidest thing ever that came across uh, uh, my uh, And that is today's stupidest thing ever. Let's just see what's down on cable. Uh, let, me find that. let me find the clip. I can't. I still and, can't believe that. Let's see, where is it? Here it is. What is it with that guy? Wow, somebody got love for their Lord Savior. Baby, that's Jesus. Oh, Negro of little face. All right, Jesus, what you got for me today? I've been good. Whatever you want, man. I need the numbers to the lotto. The lotto numbers? I got some kindness, I got compassion. And I got love for all mankind. You better get up on some of that, man. Don't nobody want no like that. You really gonna extort your boy Jesus Christ, man, your Lord and Savior. We're agnostic. Open up your heart and let me in, man. Trust in your boy. You are a parasite. Bless you too, big. You need to find another place to be a bum at, homie. Man, we can't front you no more, dog. You do realize I died for your sins, right? That was 2014 years ago. Yeah, that's old. Don't think because you Jesus, I won't whoop your Adult Swim presents a new comedy from the creator of the Boondocks. Black Jesus is coming. You all right, man? He all right. He Jesus. I ain't Superman. That shit hurts. Well, this is certainly a, a great new take. Uh, being made into a TV series on Jesus. Yeah. Now, the thing is, the Internet has exploded, not with popularity for the show, but for absolute disdain for portraying Jesus as a black homeboy in the hood and with such irreverence. Now, now the thing is, the reason why I think this is the stupidest thing ever 
for today is that it is it is wrong. I don't. I, I know that people are going to say, "Oh, you just think it's wrong." What I'm going to say is, it's wrong to portray Jesus in a way that is not accurate <clears throat> to how he really was a homeboy. He was not a black homeboy. He was a Jewish homeboy. And people didn't certainly slap him upside the head. He was respected by his peers, even though the religious leaders didn't like him. Now, the problem with black Jesus is not that it isn't funny. The problem with it is that they didn't know how to make Jesus cool. Now, haven't we always wanted to make Jesus cool in our culture? Yeah. He's so cool that he validates everybody's lifestyle and choices. But this Jesus, they didn't make him cool enough. Wow. What did you say about that? (laughs) Well, I still don't know what to say, Letitia. (laughs) And I watched the clip yesterday. I, I don't know what to say about that one. Well, I don't even think stu- yeah. I don't think stupid is a strong enough word for it. There's not a word in a human dictionary <laughs> can describe how bad that is. <laughs> I think you're right about that. Well, I want you, everybody to go home and think about that. If you have cable, I'm so sorry for you. You're paying for this crap to go on your television. Uh, so... We'll see you next week. We're going to have Terry back on. We're going to have a whole ton of other stuff. Please stay tuned and visit our Facebook page at True Life Fridays Radio. And uh, come back next week. Have a good night. Good night, everyone.